Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Cliff Smith, Director of the Middle East Forum's Washington Project, and Winfield Myers, Director of the Middle East Forum's Campus Watch, join us to update us on the accomplishments of their respective projects over the past year. Mr. Smith and Mr. Myers will speak for 10 minutes each, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Cliff Smith, who will be starting us off. Hello all, um, Cliff Smith here, as you said. Um, and um, as the Washington Project Director, it's always interesting to see how our work changes over the years and what issues come to rise and uh, what ends up um, being the most effective and interesting of the things we do. We, we try to, of course, um, promote the agenda of the Middle East Forum and its friends and allies in a broader perspective. We try to look for openings of ways to share our research and to encourage um, our points of view of being adopted by members of Congress, by the administration, by other think tanks and journalists around Washington. Um, and you know, some things work and some things don't and some things really take off, other ones kind of halfway. Um, and so you never quite know. And sometimes from year to year, it changes. This year, it has uh, our most successful effort, unquestionably, has been our anti-Erdogan coalition. Uh, for many years, um, Middle East Forum has been warning that Turkey, well, formerly an ally, um, is now an ally on paper only, an ally in name only, an ally that um, in many ways, or most ways, really, is the polar opposite of the US interests and values and is an antagonist to many of the, of the US's allies in the region. Um, what started a couple of years ago with a conversation between myself and a guy with another organization called American Friends of Kurdistan about the problems with Turkey um, has morphed into something much larger. Um, during the pandemic, um, some of these ideas sort of took a back a step, but as things came out of it, um, we were able to get together with American Friends of Kurdistan and start talking about our concerns about Turkey with members of Congress and other interested parties um, around um, DC. That quickly um, got bigger, however. Um, after we started talking to our other friends that also had concerns about Turkey. Now at this point, publicly, there are five groups working together um, in Congress, the administration around town in general, to call out Turkey for its bad acts, to uh, push American policy in a direction that will hold Turkey accountable, and to make sure that um, he does not use his NATO member um, membership and historic relationship with the United States, basically to get away, sometimes literally, with murder. Um, now, that coalition is made up of the Armenian National Committee of America, the Hellenic American Leadership Council, American Friends of Kurdistan, Middle East Forum, of course, and the Amer Hindu American Foundation. Um, the Hindu American Foundation is perhaps a less um, obvious uh, opponent of Turkey, but the Hindu American Foundation is very concerned about the US-India relationship. And they're also very concerned about the growing US-Pakistan, uh, excuse me, Turkey-Pakistan relationship. Something I wrote about just recently in an article in the Dispatch. Um, so all of these, both traditional foes of Erdogan's Turkey um, and others, um, we have been lobbying Congress, talking to folks in the administration um, and others to try to change our direction um, of policy towards Turkey to one that would hold them accountable and make sure they can't get away with everything. 
Um, these, this coalition does not agree on every policy, but we agree on the big picture. And that is that Turkey under Erdogan is an, a dangerous actor that is against America's interests and is using its historic relationship to shield um, any criticism. And there are other organizations that are also part of this coalition. Um, however, um, for various complicated reasons that are not necessarily publicly identified at this time, but the point is we work with them to discuss um, issues and to push members of Congress, to push folks in administration um, in the right direction. Um, the results of this is multifold. Um, first is we've had a series of legislative slash policy slash PR wins that have been a, almost a direct result of the work of the coalition. Um, a bipartisan um, coalition of 28 members of Congress wrote to the administration demanding answers on Turkey's drone program. You may not be aware, but Turkey has an extensive drone program that is um, active, that is deadly, um, and that is being sold to many different actors around um, the world in conflict zones that are directly contrary to the US stated policies and interests. They have, they have sold drones to Pakistan where they've been involved in the Kashmir dispute, in Libya on the opposite side of the US and much of the rest of the world in the Azerbaijan-Armenia dispute and others. Um, they're an important source of income for Turkey um, and they have continued to cause a problem for US policy and for US allies in the region. Um, this um, was also followed up by questions at hearings um, in a Senate hearing um, concerning this program, as well as an amendment to the NDAA, um, which unfortunately due to very complicated gyrations, never received a vote. But nonetheless, it has raised the profile of the issue and we're confident at some point we'll get our questions answered and bring this answer even more into the public. Um, if you need any proof of just how effective this was, um, there was a 12 minute long segment on TRT World, perhaps the most prominent Turkish propaganda outlet, denouncing the letter and naming our coalition specifically for working with Congressman Bilarakis, Congressman Cincellini, and others to make this letter happen. Um, that doesn't happen unless they're really feeling the hurt. Um, another success was 41 members of Congress wrote to demanding that Turkey not receive advanced F-16s. Um, as you may know, if you pay close attention to, the, to these issues, Turkey was kicked out of the F-35 program, the most advanced fighter, because they had purchased Russian S-400 missiles, uh, contrary to um, their agreements with the US, contrary to their obligations as a NATO member, um, among other things, but those are the, those are the driving force. And that was, they, it, is, um, it is not possible um, from a national security standpoint to have American equipment like the F-35 in the same defense network as Russian missiles. Um, however, essentially as well Turkey did by requesting these advanced F-16s is rather than change their behavior, they're increasing cozy relationship with Russia, but they have changed their ask. They are now asking for, well, don't give us that, give us something just a little bit less, but it presents a lot of the same challenges um, in terms of co-locating it with Russian S-400 missiles. And moreover, their behavior hasn't changed. Um, if anything, it's gotten worse. They've continued to double down on getting close to Russia when they can. They've continued to double down on working with Islamist actors all around the globe um, and continue to antagonize American interests in many different places. So it's really their behavior that needs to change as a stance of our coalition, um, not just the ask. Um, 
Additionally, um, and I can't go into this too much, there is language in an intelligence bill that is a result of our coalition that will try to call attention to the potential for um, Pakistani-Turkish nuclear um, um, collaboration, which is a real concern because two years ago, Erdogan openly floated the idea that he needed nuclear weapons, which is unprecedented for a Turkish prime minister. And given the fact that Pakistan bought parts from Turkey for it, when it went nuclear 20 something years ago, um, this is a very real concern. Turkey has the parts, what doesn't have is the know-how. Pakistan has that. So that will um, continue to work on that problem. This is something that think tankers, including MES own Jonathan Spire have written about a lot and hopefully we'll start really bringing this issue to the forefront um, when that legislation passes and we expect it to, um, hopefully with those provisions still intact. Um, we also work together along with Islamist Watch to, um, and our coalition members um, to discuss the 10K Turks campaign. This campaign, which is ostensibly for Turkish Americans to be involved politically, which of course there's nothing wrong with that, but it was directly influenced um, by the Erdogan regime um, and by actors. Um, this is according to hacked emails of Turkish officials who are discussing it explicitly. Um, this will be a topic going forward even more. Um, but there's a second win um, to this issue as well. And that is basically that each of our coalition has a different constituency and a different group that it is um, it works with, that it is comfortable with, that, that know it and are credible with it. Um, and that doesn't necessarily translate to the other. But when we all get together, we are exposed to new people, talk to new, um, talk to new actors, and bring new voices to the table that otherwise, as individual organizations, we might not have been able to have um, a much of an impact with. And now that's now that is enhancing all of our stance, um, I believe, in Washington, particularly related to the Turkey issue, but not only. Um, another big success of the Washington Project in this past year um, was something that happened actually right before Christmas last year. I've been saying for some years that myself and Sam Westrop and a few others have been very involved in calling out the World Vision Islamic Relief Agency um, Sudan terror finance scandal. Um, we had written a series of articles after multiple FOIA requests detailing the, um, the scandal exactly. Um, luckily, the Senate eventually got involved and had a and conducted an investigation of their own. Um, this was this report was issued Christmas Eve Eve of last year, so last time I, after I'd spoken about Washington Projects uh, year last year. Um, it specifically said that World Vision was borderline negligent and that it lacked the committee lacked the confidence in World Vision's ability to avoid such a scandal again due to its lax internal controls and its um, externalizing of the vetting process of its partners. Um, this was received quite a firestorm in the media and um, really um, hopefully spooked them again into never doing this kind of thing again. But what's more, it, ha it had even further effects. Um, former UN Ambassador Samantha Power, as it turns out, as a result of our investigation, um, had openly been lobbying for this terrorist charity to be taken off the designated list. She gave no real reason other than vague complaints about Islamophobia. Um, because of this, um, Senator Grassley formally on the record objected um, to her being um, named USAID um, um, excuse me, administrator. And um, she, while she ultimately was confirmed, she had more opposition um, than she certainly otherwise would have. And she has been put on notice that her behavior is being watched in this area. Um, 
we've been involved with many other efforts. Um, we have been opposing um, the ambassador to Israel nominee Nides for his coddling of UNRWA and their definition of a refugee, which denies um, uh, it, the right of Israel to exist. Uh, we have been working with members of Congress to oppose Pakistani-linked Islamist networks in the U.S. and many other things. Um, some, as I mentioned, some of our results get more, uh, some of our efforts get more results than others. Some are more public than others. But we always make the case for America's interests and America's values and the values of our allies and friends um, in the Middle East. And we've had a good year and we'll hopefully continue these things um, next year as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Cliff. We really appreciate the update. And now we're going to turn it over to Winfield Myers. Thank you, Stacey. Uh, I'm the director of Campus Watch, and uh, I want to begin by noting that one of the notable features of the Middle East Forum is that the different projects are not silos. Uh, we don't exist uh, apart from one another. We, in fact, collaborate very often. And uh, one of the major accomplishments of Campus Watch over the past couple of years has come about by our collaboration with Cliff Smith, my colleague, from whom you just heard, uh, on two particular issues that um, really must be approached on Capitol Hill, but must be approached with research uh, provided by Campus Watch very often, and also with follow-up articles and uh, outreach uh, that we and the Washington Project do. Um, over the past couple of years in particular, we have paid attention to Title VI reform. Title VI of the Higher Education Act, not to be confused with Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. Uh, because these, uh, this act has, has funneled millions of dollars of taxpayer dollars into Middle East Studies centers around the country. And very often, as you can imagine, more often than not, uh, this money is abused. That is to say, it is used to, not for the purpose of Title VI, which is to produce uh, scholars and specialists and others who will work to strengthen America's national security, uh, but in fact is used explicitly, and sometimes explicitly by the people in charge who say this, uh, to undermine all of that because they, they disagree with it so hard, so uh, wholeheartedly. So over the past couple of years, we have worked on that steadfastly um, in, in a variety of ways, and we will continue to do that into 2022. Uh, the other issue, and the one that is outlined uh, briefly in the email that you received for today's webinar, is the problem with foreign funding of American higher education. Uh, this is a systemic problem. It's gone on for decades and decades, and I'm going to read off a, a few stats here in a moment to illustrate just how uh, systemic and how ingrained it is in American higher education. Um, but again, we're working with the Washington Project on this uh, to uh, educate uh, Hill staffers, congressmen and others, senators, so that they are aware of this kind of problem and that they will know what to do about it and how to correct it uh, using our expertise in the, uh, in the nature of the problem itself. Um, because of the, people talk about higher education um, being funded by foreigners uh, frequently, but usually in very general ways. And there's a reason for that. It's a reason that, uh, that I want to outline for you very briefly. Uh, between 2013 and 2019, just for example, American uh, institutions of higher education received that we know of some $12 billion in gifts and contracts. I say what we know of because virtually no one believes that that's the whole story. Uh, anyone who digs into this will quickly find out that there are uh, hidden funds, uh, there are funds that go unreported, and this happens for a reason too. For decades, the Department of Higher Education, excuse me, the Department of Education and their Office of Higher Education uh, has 
I would say colluded with the higher education lobby and with individual institutions of higher education to allow universities to get away with simply ignoring the rules without consequence. And this came to the fore just over a year ago, last October, when the Department of Education under the then directorship of Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, launched an investigation of um, the compliance level of universities with the rules that are extant right now in the department. And what they discovered was that uh, some 60 universities uh, replied and reported their results for the very first time since these rules were instituted in 1986. The 60 universities that hadn't even bothered to uh, even look at the rules, paying attention to them. Of course, they all made up um, heartfelt excuses, but uh, you can uh, you know, ignore all of that. They simply knew they could get away with flouting the rules and they, and they did so. Um, where did this money come from? Well, Cutter, Tiny Cutter, uh, is the largest donor to American higher education today. Uh, in that same time period, uh, it gave about $1.8 billion while Huge China gave some billion dollars. And again, that's, the, that's what we know about. Uh, there is undoubtedly more in both cases. Um, those 60 universities and more, when they reported their, their unreported funds, reported about $6.5 billion uh, since 1986. A little hunk of money to just go unreported completely. Uh, and, and so no one even had to worry about uh, reporting it. And again, I, I can't emphasize enough, it's difficult to be too cynical about the way that uh, until last year, um, so many people at the Department of, Higher, uh, Department of Education um, worked with universities to ensure that they could do this. Um, so what do we need? What, what needs to happen between now and uh, the coming few years if we are going to correct this situation. Well, there's a, there's a very real, real weakness in current legislation. And that is that not only is it not enforced, uh, not only are very frequently are there no penalties for non-compliance, but even if universities complied with it, both in the spirit and the letter of the law, it would still be inadequate. Uh, they don't have to, to report any um, either donations or contracts that amount to less than $250,000. That's simply too high a threshold, and it should be reduced to around $50,000. Uh, you can give a lot of $249,000 grants and not have to, re uh, re to report them, even if the rules are enforced. I would say the principal problem, however, is simply that at the moment, there are no rules stipulating that the ultimate recipient of any grant or contract must be identified. So if uh, Saudi Arabia or China or our uh, wheelhouse uh, Qatar gives say $100 million to Georgetown University, just to pull an example out of thin air, um, we will never know unless the university wishes to disclose it, which they very rarely do, I think for obvious reasons, who receives the money, who's the recipient, what's it going to be used for, where is it going? Is it going to be used for petroleum research? Is it going to be used for medical research? Is it going to be used to support Islamist ideologies uh, in either K through 12 curricula that are produced by these universities in return for Title VI grants, for example, for those who uh, are participating in that? Or is it going to be used to um, hold conferences at which Islamist ideas are whitewashed and presented to uh, the American people as harmless uh, and as those who oppose them are all Islamophobes? We'll never know. We don't know what to do about that. 
whether we don't know how it did is to say how, how they're using it. We do know what to do about it, however. And that is what uh, Cliff and I have been working on, which is to, as I say, educate those on the Hill and elsewhere of the need for reform of this legislation to give it uh, a bite to make sure that the information is required, that it is required annually, that it is made public on a Department of Education website as soon as they receive these reports so that everyone can look at it and there are no secrets. And, and so that, uh, to, to make sure that there are penalties so that those universities that do continue to thwart the rules will have to pay for it and, and announce the penalties. Uh, but the collusion, the, the, the good old boy network that has existed for decades between the higher education lobby and uh, institutions of higher education and the Department of Education uh, really needs to be brought to an end. This benefits no one. It's a threat to our national security. Uh, it is a threat to our national sovereignty. Uh, and it is just morally wrong. And we need to put an end to that. And, and the Washington Project and the Campus Watch are working to bring that about. Stacy. All right, thank you both so much. Uh, we really appreciate it. First question we have is from Len, and this is for Cliff. Are you getting bipartisan congressional support for your efforts? Yes, um, short answer. Um, on Turkey, it has been remarkably bipartisan. Um, and that, frankly, is not always the case. Um, and that's an interesting um, larger topic as to how the different parties view Turkey. Um, I think there's a lot of um, moving factors about why that is this the case, but ironically, unlike many of the Middle East forums, past initiatives, um, it has been um, overwhelmingly supported by Democrats and um, Republicans have actually been a little bit more tepid. Usually um, on most of the other efforts in recent years anyway, we've been involved with, you've had some support from Democrats but much more from Republicans. Um, I, I think that um, the party's views on Turkey are shifting. I think there's a lot of people that thought of Turkey in a particular way. You know, they thought of Turkey of, you know, 1950 or 1980 or even 2000 and not the Turkey of today. And I think that has taken longer for various political reasons to seep into the right side of the aisle than the left. Um, but the, the, the great part about that is, is that um, because of that, we're talking to people that you know aren't necessarily on our side on other issues, but are on our side in this one, and that gives us uh, a hearing um, for you know other things we don't want to talk about down the line. And it's certainly good for the efforts itself. Um, for example, the two letters I mentioned, which had 28 and 41 members of Congress respectively, I believe the the one with 48, uh, 41 members, um, which was on the F-16s, had. Um, um, I believe it was nine Republicans and uh, the rest Democrats, and the 28 had seven Republicans and the rest Democrats. Um, and so, you know, it definitely had bipartisan support, but it, it's a little bit more challenging the Republican side on this issue, which is, is again, not the norm. I mean, for example, our other thing um, with Senator Grassley was, um, you know, entirely an effort of Republicans and Senator Grassley. Um, so it, that, that's one of the great things about this coalition is that as I mentioned, you know, all of us bring different people and uh, we get to talk to all kinds of people all across the spectrum about an issue where views are shifting. Thank you. And for when, are you finding this administration more amenable to the Title VI changes that you're suggesting? No, I'm afraid not. I'm afraid it's considerably less amenable to these kinds of changes. Um, <clears throat> we had an ally, <clears throat> pardon me, we had allies in the um, Department of Education, people who were 
let's say, broadly philosophically sympathetic to the need to reform Title VI. Um, <clears throat> that is very difficult to come about most of the time. Uh, this is a, a topic that uh, Campus Watch and uh, allied organizations have uh, been treating for years and years, going back to 2014, 2013, and before. Uh, it's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult uh, task to pull off. And that difficulty is compounded when uh, an administration and the executive branch, as the Department of Education is, are overall far more sympathetic to the um, education lobby, higher education lobby, to the, uh, I called it a good old boy system that has existed for decades and decades. And so uh, unfortunately, uh, no, this administration is, is considerably less amenable to reform than was the previous one. Thank you. Uh, for Cliff, Steve or Stephen Orlow asked, how was the sale of the drones to the Aziris contrary to the US interests as opposed to the other sales you mentioned? Um, the, uh, the, uh, the stated US policy on the Azerbaijan-Armenia war was de-escalation. It was basically that this fight should not have happened. This should be handled through diplomacy. So um, whether or not um, you are on the side of the, the, the Azeris or the Armenians, um, any sort of an injection of um, you know, weapons, certainly significant weapons like the drones um, into that conflict was directly contrary to USA policy. Um, and so that's that. Um, on the, I'd rather probably not get into too much of the substance of the Azerbaijan-Armenia um, conflict that's complicated and nuanced and people have different views. Um, I, I don't even think we at the Middle East Forum have uh, uniform views on that. Uh, what we do have strong views on, however, is that um, you can generally assume that if Erdogan is doing something, it's not for good reasons, it's not in a good way. And uh, particularly in this situation, when he's doing something directly in um, contravention of US um, stated policy, that should be looked at with a skeptical eye. Thank you. And for Wynn, uh, Vivian Zener in Toronto would like to know, or states this week we were subjected to a travesty in the Toronto District School Board. Uh, are we looking outside of the U.S. for the education matters? Um, <clears throat> generally speaking, Campus Watch pays attention to first American and then North American um, situations. I think I know what she's talking about. We, we really look more at universities than K through 12. That said, um, obviously those kinds of, uh, I know that Toronto has seen um, a great many anti-Semitic acts recently. Um, there have been politicians involved in some of them. There have been school board uh, members involved in some of them. Uh, I have not specifically looked at that as, as, as Campus Watch. Um, and in the topic of foreign donations to uh, universities, we have looked at those only as they come to universities in the United States. We haven't looked at the University of Toronto, for example, or McGill or other large institutions in Canada at this time. Uh, I would imagine the, the, the problems are similar, but I don't know that and I, I really can't speak uh, of that with any degree of knowledge. Thank you. And Cliff, what... Sorry, uh, my question came in. Uh, but what are you looking forward to the most coming this year? Uh, 
it's going to be a very interesting year politically. I think there's going to be a lot of unpredictability and instability. Um, I do think that um, there's a lot of potential. Um, certainly, our um, our anti-Erdogan coalition will be much more active. Um, there is going to be an election in Turkey in 2023, and so therefore there will be more pressure on um, the U.S. to sort of make some of these decisions, and we'll have more ability to be effective in uh, making that. And I think election years on some of these issues. Um, you know, get politicians more interested in doing things um, on these uh, matters, especially when it comes to foreign policy, I think. And so there's a lot of potential for this. Um, but I think um, when you work in this kind of space, some of the thing is to expect the unexpected. Um, the sands are always shifting in the Middle East and there are, the political winds are always shifting in the US. And so there will be new things that have come up that are going to affect um, Middle East forums issues, our friends and partners, and uh, the ideas we believe in here uh, at the Middle East Forum. And so I would say that, uh, you know, there is going to be um, something that I'm not thinking about right now that will end up being very important next year and probably be talking to you about it next year this time. Sounds good. And the same question for when, what project are you specifically looking forward to the most in this coming year? I'm looking forward to first pressing ahead with our transparency issues and with, with further Title VI reform, because we do have allies who will work with us on these things. It is not a lost cause uh, because of the administration. And the progress that we make uh, made this year and will make next year uh, accrues. It doesn't go away. It can continue. We, we continue to um, educate people about the, these problems and others. I also look forward to continuing what we do day to day, which is to expose the uh, politicization of Middle East studies through producing articles uh, that covered everything from Palestinian centers at Brown, Columbia, and NYU this year to myriad webinars during, the, during COVID, um, live in-person panels and lectures uh, pretty much disappeared. And so we uh, wrote about a great many uh, webinar presentations and these covered everything from uh, apologias for Palestinian terrorism to uh, attacks on America, attacks on our allies, um, and we're continuing to do that to the, to the greatest degree we possibly can. So I always look forward to exposing the truth about uh, academe. All right, well, we've come so close for our webinar. Thank you again, Cliff and Wynn, for joining us today and updating our viewers on what we've been doing for the past year. Thank you very much. And for our viewers, should you wish to support either of these projects directly, please visit our website, meforum.org backslash participation to donate and to write in the comment box the name of the project you wish to support. Uh, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinar invitations email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.